Welcome everybody, my name is Mikhail Nosrani and this is Islam for Christians. Episode 7, Some Basic Arabic. When talking about Islam, some Arabic is essential. It's not necessary to know Arabic to be a Muslim. The vast majority of Muslims do not understand Arabic. But Arabic is the language of the Quran and the early Muslims, and therefore essential for anyone attempting to study Islam. I should note this is not unique to Islam. When you enter the seminary, often there is a Greek boot camp the summer before. It's kind of like a uh, rite of passage. Your pastor can tell you all about it. And then you learn Hebrew in your second year. Similarly, in anything related to Islamic studies, some basic Arabic is required. This is my background in the Arabic language. Just to let you know my limitations, I have only intermediate knowledge of Arabic. I'm not fluent and I am far better reading and writing Arabic than speaking it. I know just enough to examine sections of text, particularly Quranic text, but I can't pick up an Arabic newspaper and read it quickly, and especially not out loud. Modern Arabic requires a level of familiarity I simply don't have. Imagine trying to read something in English with no vowels. That's doable for a native, but exceptionally difficult for an outsider. Oddly, it's far easier to read the Quran in Arabic because of the care put into the recitation. There are marks for pronunciation that just don't exist in most other versions of written Arabic. So bottom line, I probably have the same knowledge of Arabic that your pastor or priest has of Greek. I can examine the Quran in its original language when I have to, but it really helps to have an Arabic dictionary handy. This is actually more difficult than you think. Looking something up in an Arabic dictionary is a hundred times more complicated than doing it in English. The words are not sorted alphabetically. They're sorted by the three-consonant verb that is the root of the word. And finding that root can be tricky. That's because Arabic is a Semitic language, a whole different category of language than those derived from Latin or German or even Greek. For instance, have you ever noticed that a large amount of Arabic words begin with al or m? Al just means the. It creates a definite article, and it's also part of some unique structures of the language, particularly possessives. The letter M is so prominent because that's a common way to turn a verb into a noun. Take the name Muhammad. That's the noun version of the verb Hamida, meaning to praise. Stick an M on the front along with some short vowels, and you get Muhammad. The same verb root appears when a Muslim says, Alhamdulillah, a common phrase that means praise to God. Every true Arabic word comes from three consonant verbs. The consistency is actually pretty amazing. Arabic is a language that sometimes makes it seem like it was invented by a computer. Once you know the general patterns, learning one verb means you just learn 10 words. Um, I'll go through some examples of this later on. The Arabic alphabet is useful to know, but since it's impossible to teach much Arabic in a single podcast, I'll just give a few things that I think are important for English speakers to know. First of all, super basic thing here. Letters are read right to left, but numbers are read left to right. This seems odd and confusing, but the Arabs did create our number system, so we can cut them some slack on this one. If you want to learn the letters, just search Arabic alphabet and click on images. There are many sites that will teach you how to pronounce these things. 
It's important to know words in Arabic characters because once they are transliterated into Latin characters, the root becomes unclear, and it's impossible to find that word in the dictionary or really understand the meaning. For example, there are two letters that often get transliterated as ha. That's ha and ha. These are two completely different letters. I'm just going to really throw an English speaker off. The ha in Muhammad, for example, is not a ha. It's a ha. Again, you want to hear natives say these sounds. So get online at some point and check it out. But it's the ha, which is kind of like the English ha, and ha with some phlegm. Uh, there are variants like this also for the T sound, the D sound, the S sound, the TH sound, and the K sound. Three separate letters actually can be transliterated as K. Older versions of the Quran are, are sometimes spelled with a K, K-O-R-A-N. This is just awful Arabic, by the way. The first letter of the Quran is the K, the Q, not K, not H, it's Apologies for the pronunciation again. Uh, you want to hear these things from a native. But the queen mother of confusing sounds in Arabic is the Ain. This is often transliterated as an apostrophe or as A-E. There simply isn't a sound like this in English. My Arabic teacher compared it to the sound a camel makes. You probably don't know what sound a camel makes and neither did I. So I'll have a, give you a simpler way to do this in a second. Here's how I try to say it. Pronounce the letter A, but pretend it's going to come out of your Adam's apple rather than your mouth. Uh, for the women listening, that's about halfway down your neck where the uh, voice box is located. There are some good videos on this, by the way. Just type in pronouncing Ayn, A-Y-N. It should sound something like ha. See how ridiculous that sounded? Um, you may have heard this sound in the word Al-Qaeda, for example. It's often pronounced Al-Qaeda because the actual sound is so freaking hard it's unfair to expect any English speaker to pronounce it correctly. And the beginning sound is not a K, but a Q, making this almost impossible to pronounce. But it's pronounced Al-Qaeda. Well, sort of. That's how I pronounce it. And to make things even more confusing, Ein is not even a vowel, even though it sounds like an A. It's a consonant, technically. So it's part of the three-letter verb roots, which is a big part of why Arabic is way easier on paper than orally. An English speaker could never tell an A from an Ein in real time. You, you just can't, or at least I can't. Another confusing element is the feminine suffix. Depending on the dialect and context, it could be pronounced ah or at. I tend to use ah. Just to give you an idea of how a verb turns into all other words, I'll give you a couple examples with common verbs. The first is rahama. This verb is most commonly known as a Quranic description of God. Every surah in the Quran starts with two versions of this verb, al-Rahman, al-Rahim. This is often translated as the compassionate and the merciful. And if you go back to the root, the meaning is actually more profound. Rahama, the simple verb root, rahama, simply means to womb, W-O-M-B. Not really an English verb. Um, but I can't think of a better description of all-encompassing love. Can you? Like with that verb, 
this gives the words stemming from it a maternal quality, a notion of caring. Rahim is a typical adjective, two consonants followed by a long vowel, followed by the third consonant. Rahman does the same thing. Almost every adjective in Arabic looks this way. The same root is used to describe relatives, especially maternal relatives, someone who is dead, love, understanding, caring, and so on. Few nouns come out of this root, so I'll move on. I can think of few better descriptions of the Christian God, actually, than Al-Rahman and Al-Rahim, and it seems to suit the Muslims just fine, too. Kataba. This is the root K-T-B. Just a simple English-style K. The root K-T-B means to write. Use a long A sound between the T and the B to make it kitab, which is a book. This is also where you get al-al-kitab, the Muslim term for Jews and Christians, people of the book. A common prefix for Arabic nouns is an M, which can be used for a place of or person of. A place of books is a maktab, most commonly an office. In Arabic, when you want to make something seem more dramatic and grand, you add the feminine suffix. That gives us maktaba. That's a grand, gigantic place of books. A library. Uh, these rules aren't hard and unfailing, by the way. Um, although, I, if I had to guess, classical Arabic follows this format for over 90% of its words. That percentage is less from modern Arabic, which is full of words borrowed from other languages that completely mess up the original formula. Still, the level of irregular words and formats is about one hundredth of those in English, which makes things a bit easier on non-natives, um, at least in the written form. And on a more practical level, uh, here are some religious Arabic words you may have heard before, but not actually understood. Abdul. This name is omnipresent in Muslim names, and it just means slave of. It's usually followed by one of the descriptions of God from the Quran, or simply as Abdul, which is just a crammed together version of Abdul Allah, meaning slave of God. All Americans know at least two names of famous American converts to Islam, Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Muhammad Ali is about as generic a Muslim name as you can get. It's the founder and his cousin. But Abdul-Jabbar is far more interesting. Kareem is an Arabic word meaning one who is noble, and Abdul-Jabbar means slave of God. In this case, God's description, Al-Jabbar, from the Quran. Jabbar means almighty, all-powerful, and other common descriptions related to the power of God. But it also means giant, and it just can't be a coincidence that a guy as tall as Abdul-Jabbar ended up choosing that name. Abu. This just means father of blank, whatever you want to put in there. A good way to remember this is that it's very similar to Abba, the name Jesus used for God. Al. This is the Arabic version of the. So when you see something, it's just creating a definite article. There are also grammatical structures built with this word in various positions. 
But if you see any English word that starts with A-L, the odds are very good it originated in Arabic, like algebra or, ironically, alcohol. Both those words kept their pure Arabic structures, even in English. A-L followed by three consonants. Allah. The Muslim profession of faith is La ilaha il Allah, Muhammad Rasul Allah. This means there is no God but God, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. Pay attention to the first two words, La ilaha. The root of ilaha is ilah, which just means God. As I said before, the word al just means the. So what is al ilah? The God. Now say al ilah a bit faster. Al ilah, al ilah, al ilah. Eventually it's going to start sounding like Allah. And yes, the H at the end is important. It's a consonant and critical to the meaning. Uh, incidentally, it's the same with Hebrew words like the name Sarah. If you ever see Sarah without an H, I can pretty much guarantee her parents did not speak Hebrew. Anyway, Allah was not a creation of Muhammad or, or Islam. The name, at least. The name Allah was the high god of Arabia, kind of like Zeus or Odin. He was a creator god as well, so it wasn't a giant leap to just eliminate all the other gods and focus exclusively on Allah. Muhammad's ministry linked the old Allah with the god of Abraham, making them one and the same. He was the only deity, Al-Ilah. The God. Allahu Akbar. Let's be honest here. A modern non-Muslim hears these words and he either hits the deck or runs the other way. And it's such a shame that a beautiful phrase could be made satanic, really, to so many ears. But that's the reality. And I get it. It's not wholly undeserved. It is totally worth saving. This is a beautiful phrase. It means God is greater. It's an infinitive comparison, meaning it doesn't compare God with anything in particular. Whatever you got, God is greater. That's what the phrase means. You think you're smart? God is greater. You think something is awesome? God is greater. There's a reason this phrase is in the call to prayer. It means that whatever you're doing, time to drop it right now, because God is greater. Ayatollah. Ayatollah is associated with the grand titles of Iran's leaders, but an ayatollah is simply a sign of God. The word ayat means sign, and it's the word for the verses of the Quran as well. So put the words together, ayat and Allah. I'll say that a few times faster. Ayatollah, 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 sign of God or God's sign. This is a common way to show possessives in Arabic, by the way. You take an indefinite article, a yacht, and put it in front of a definite article, a law. The of is then implied. Anyway, Ayatollah isn't that exclusive of a title, really. Yes, a grumpy Iranian with a beard is an Ayatollah, but so am I. So are you. So are zebras and rats and the tiniest atoms. In Islam, anything created by God is a sign of God. Ibn, or bin. Ever wonder what the bin in bin Laden means? 
bin and the more proper ibn are actually the same thing. They just mean son of. So Osama, the son of Laden. Strangely, in this case, it actually doesn't mean his father was named Laden. It's a surname, like so many that end in son in the Western world. The female version of this is bint, by the way, although you rarely see it except for daughters of extremely important men, like Fatima bint Muhammad, Muhammad's daughter, who married Ali and gave birth to the bloodline of Shia imams. Bismillah. Almost every surah of the Quran starts, Bismillah al-Rahman al-Rahim. Bismillah is three words crammed into one. The B is the preposition in, followed by ism, which means name, followed by Allah. Ba, ism, Allah. Bismillah. 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 It means in the name of God. You may have heard this word in Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Bismillah. We will not let you go. Let me go. Bismillah. We will not let you go. Let me go. And so on. Freddie Mercury was a Zoroastrian, actually. Probably the most famous one since Zoroaster himself. Zoroastrianism is an ancient monotheistic faith from ancient Persia, and it is still one of the four legal religions of Iran, oddly enough, which are Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and Zoroastrianism. Inshallah. As a cultural norm, whenever Muslims speak about the future, they usually add the caveat, Inshallah. This means God willing. And it's a reminder that only God knows what will come and that God's will supersedes the wishes of any person. Jihad. This comes from the three-letter root J-H-D, which means to strive or struggle. This is an internal battle and, if necessary, a physical external battle in the name of God. The Battle of Badr, for example, was the first physical jihad. But by that point, Muslims had been waging inner jihads for 14 years. A great example of this dichotomy is shown in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Worf is trying to get philosophical with a rebellious Klingon. He's a pure warrior who abhors the peace and alliance between the Federation and the Klingons. Worf tells him, you look for battles in the wrong place. The true test of a warrior is not without, it is within. Here, he says, pounding his chest, here is where we meet the challenge. One could easily substitute Worf with a wise Muslim and the warrior Klingon with a young, aspiring terrorist. Masjid slash mosque. These are the same thing. But if you drive by a mosque, it will often say Masjid al-something. Both follow the place of construction in Arabic, the letter M followed by the verb. Masjid comes from the verb to bow down. So to put an M in front of it, and it becomes literally the place of bowing down. A mosque is just the English equivalent of a masjid. Muslim. Throughout this podcast, I have said the word Muslim. This is actually an incorrect pronunciation. But the correct pronunciation just sounds forced and almost snobbish from a Christian English speaker. So I will continue to say it wrong. If you want to pronounce Muslim as it appears in the Arabic, it should be Muslim. It should start with the sound of moose, not 
muzzle. The most important part is using the S and not a Z. It's a completely different letter in Arabic. The letter combination MZLM, or its implied verb root ZLM, actually does not exist in Arabic. This is something you could listen to. Um, when you meet a Muslim, quite often they'll uh, use an S sound instead of a Z. Something to listen for in the future. Quran. We mentioned this before, but you should know the literal meaning of the Quran is the recitation. This is important because the Quran, more than anything, is supposed to be heard and recited. It comes from the verbal root of to recite. But ironically, the name Quran itself is likely Christian in origin. It may have come from the term local Christians in Arabia used for the lectionary, the book to carry out a Christian service. Sharia. Sharia has a sinister connotation in the West, but it simply refers to the correct practice of Islam, whether at the personal or political level. Remember that Islam emphasizes orthopraxy, or right action, while most Christianity emphasizes orthodoxy, or correct doctrine. The Sharia is simply the path to God. Sharia is from the root sh, ra, and ein, meaning to go or to enter. One noun form of this is sharia, or sometimes the feminine subject is pronounced shariat, which originally meant the approach to a water hole. It's a path to water, the road to life. It's poetic. The road to life-giving water is also the path to eternal life. In Christianity, the sharia is Jesus himself, where you can drink and never be thirsty again. <clears throat> Taliban. Taliban comes from the root ta la ba. That's a ta, not a ta. Completely different letter. This means to seek, and a noun form of seeker is student. It's actually pretty beautiful in its original meaning, really. This name came about because the movement was dominated by young zealots, thus the name students. The irony is that they should have studied Arabic a little harder because the name Taliban is grammatically incorrect for what they are trying to describe. Afghanistan is not an Arabic-speaking country, and it's not even near any countries that speak Arabic. Therefore, they might not have known that the plural for Talib is Tulab, not Taliban. Taliban is a good guess, but this plural is an irregular one. So there you go one of the world's shortest Islamic-inspired Arabic lessons. You now have a similar level of proficiency in Arabic as about 75% of the world's Muslims. Although the thing they can do that you can't do is read Arabic text. Uh, they may not know what any of the words mean, but they learn Arabic letters to recite the Quran. Again, just to stress the global reach of Islam, the top five Muslim populations by country are actually non-Arab. One is Indonesia, followed by Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and Nigeria. Only when you get to sixth with Egypt does Arabia even make it onto the list. But God spoke in Arabic, so they'll always have that, even if there are almost a billion Muslims mispronouncing Ain. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah.
Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.